You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've bitten a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday pre-market prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Khan, and Dennis Dick with you this morning. I want everyone to know that I made the title of today's show, By the Dib Works Again, as an homage to JB Betts in the Benzinga.com chat yesterday during the show. He hypothesized, oh, tomorrow's title will be By the Dip Works Again. You were right, JB Betts. You know why? Because By the Dip Works Again, it works all the time. So congratulations. <laughs> you nailed it. Good for you. I made I made the show the uh, the title Father uh, Day works again as an homage to you. Well done, sir. Okay, we're going to talk about that by the dipping in in or buying the dip, I guess, in spacs in, in everything really. Uh, we're going to talk crypto today with our first guest, Michael Sunshine. He's the CEO of Grayscale Investments. They are the firm behind GBTC, uh, ETHC, and then a few other uh, crypto. Uh, trust. We'll have a pair of guests on uh, between 9 and 9.30 as well, cannabis guests. The CEO of Sky Bioscience and the, and the president of Tilt Holdings will be on at 9 and 9.15 respectively. Uh, so jam-packed show today. Uh, hit that like button. Hit subscribe. Let's do a listing. Let's throw it to Joel. Joel, how are we doing this morning in the pre-market trading session? Good, good, good. Pump it, Powell, my boy. He does it again. We were looking in the trough, and Pump and Powell comes out, and we're up 14 and a half handles, knocking on the door 3,900. That's all I'm going to say. That's a big, big level. Uh, we have crude trading up 71 cents at 62.37. That's the highest level since last January. Uh, gold, that's up a buck at 18, uh, 1807, trying to get away from 1800. Uh, silver doing the 28 even battle. That's right where it's at. That's up 26 cents. Uh, Bitcoin uh, takes out yesterday's low, but rebounds up $3,300 at 50. This is called 51,000. So that's a look at your futures markets. A lot of green on the screen. Triple D. That was a fun break yesterday. I don't know how wow. long you stuck around for it, but <laughs> boy, oh boy. It was uh, it was that ten o'clock turn. You know, we talk about yeah. market timing. We talked it was the about ten o'clock turn. Mm-hmm. 
It, it, it's a two-day move. It was textbook. My, you know, I didn't read this somewhere. I, I made it up. You know, I call it the two-day move. It's the triple D two-day move. And we talked about it. You get the follow-through the next morning from a big sell-off. And we saw a big sell-off in a stock like Tesla. And that's why we were using it as the poster child for it. And usually the next day you'll get the follow-through move. It was a wicked two-day move. But what we also said was the turn usually happens after the open. Get the initial flush, first 5-10 minute flush, and by 9.45 the buy the dippers start to emerge. And they emerged right on schedule. They kept buying all the way to 11 o'clock. Cool. Bought Tesla almost back to green, so it was down 90 bucks. Almost goes green, unbelievable, and then it sold off again. But then they started buying in the afternoon and they ripped it higher. And then Kathy to the rescue. So, you know, and obviously trading up substantially because we're giving major press to these Kathy buys. Even though Kathy has bought Tesla, it seems like every day for the last few days, uh, we're publicizing the ones from last night. So that's why Tesla's up another, at least the market or CNBC, they're talking about every five minutes, is publicizing. That's why Tesla's up another 32 points. So, anyways, right on schedule, the buy the dippers emerge once again. Congratulations to those who bought the. Day. Well, the one thing on the um, uh, the Ark Invest uh, Tesla buy from yesterday is uh, I haven't looked at previous days yet, but it was yesterday seemed to be a rather large purchase, right? They bought it wasn't two, really though. It Wait, wasn't. Let's go, go grab them. I don't have it in front of me. Well, either. that's what I'm. A, that's what I'm in the middle. It doing wasn't today. that much bigger okay. than the previous day, because I was like, I was like, really? Because I was because she All was right. interviewed on Bloomberg, right? I guess you're right. So so go look at it. Go grab so, those okay. numbers. So, I, I, Okay, I, I, I just I just grabbed him. So two, uh, Ark Invest bought two hundred and forty thousand shares of Tesla yesterday. How many uh, the day before? They bought one hundred eighty three thousand the day before. So it wasn't no. that much bigger, and it didn't even get it. It was down. You know, it was down significantly. Overall market effects there, but it wasn't publicized. And the reason it was up so much was because she was on a Bloomberg interview, and she said, "I bought a lot of Tesla today." And as soon as she said that on the Bloomberg interview, this is way before the email comes out. Email is like 6.30. So, and it was late last night. Um, <laughs> people were already buying it up. They're like, oh, she bought a lot of Tesla today. And the stock ripped higher on just her comments in that Bloomberg interview. Really, she didn't buy much more than the day before. So she's been buying Tesla for a while. So it's fake news to a certain extent. I mean, it's real news, but they're publicizing something that she's been doing already. So, But the media has so much influence right now that when they publicize something or they talk about it, it's like the CNBC pop. You know, Bloomberg gets a pop, you know, and we're seeing this happen across the board. So you publicize that, like, you, you, you know, you emphasize it on, on, on TV multiple times. CNBC's probably mentioned it a dozen times in the last 12 hours because so, I've you know, had it on there. It's, it's mentioned every 30 minutes. Wow, you I have, mean, it's going you have to continue tolerance for that. Holy mackerel. I can't well, you got to watch it. You have to watch, you know, CNBC because they move, they move stocks. So, I mean, if you're, like, in a stock and you're like, what's going on? I don't have the news. The first thing I do is check is somebody talking about it on CNBC. The, the, the way CNBC's influence has never been as much as it is right now. Like I was saying, I gave that example a couple of weeks ago with the one analyst, I think it was from Jeffries or somebody, upgrades the stock, and the stock goes up 5% that day. They bring him on for an interview that night. The stock goes up 20% on his interview. Well, we already knew he upgraded. We knew it all day. But because they're, they're talking about it on CNBC, and there's so many people who don't want to pay for news. There's so many people who are just looking at CNBC. What's the next big trading idea? I mean, a lot of times CNBC gets me out of a bad position because I might trade the headline. It's like, oh, they don't like this. 
well, you know what? Sometimes it's, uh, the stock will start going down. Then CNBC will mention it five or ten minutes later because they're always way late. And they'll get a CNBC pop to get you out of a bad position. So, I mean, if you're trading headlines and stuff, you know, obviously you're going to be right, you're going to be wrong. But I tell you, CNBC is moving stocks more than I've ever seen. In 20 years trading off CNBC, it never moved stocks like this before. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about, uh, because I did a a tweet yesterday and you ended up getting heat on it, which I I apologize for. But, uh, and I'm not talking about immediately, but I, I just... Look at look at this Palantir, right? So it has the dip to twenty five, right? Yeah. And she buys, and the thing goes to thirty, and yeah. it didn't fill the gap. You had a t- that got under twenty four yesterday. Yeah. So you know the first day, maybe not the second day. The big one was this Vuzi. This thing got to twenty four forty the other day, and then it dipped under sixteen yesterday. So I, a lot of it, of course, we're talking about timing, right? And if you shorten it right away, but I mean, eventually, and maybe not even shorting, maybe if you have a juicy long, like if you were long that Vuzi, man, and, and you know, that thing popped to 24, I don't know what your target is. Yeah, but, the smaller company. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'd be keeping, I didn't yeah. drill down on any numbers on Tesla today uh, to see, you know, where the resistance is, but it'd be interesting to see. I mean, in a day or two, that was a big move off the low. Mr. Market helped, of course. Yeah, well, Mr. Market helped out a lot. Um, just going back to the Kathy, and sure. you, know, you tweeted out, and I'll say it, I, I think the Kathy pops have been fades lately. They really have. And it's not Kathy's fault. I mean, think about you're buying Tesla today, and people are coming in there. Not the Kathy same price. It, I'm buying at 730. Tesla, she bought yesterday. Tesla traded down to 619. She's probably buying 620. 30, 640, 650. Scaling, boom, 10, She's 000. buying 80 boom, points 10, lower 000. than they're buying 10, right now. She's 10, buying eight, 80 points lower than they're, than people are buying right now. So you're paying up 10% more than Kathy. You're, you're buying into the Kathy pop. 4.5% this morning is all a Kathy pop. That's alpha on the short side right now. And you're right, Joel. Palantir, I thought it was overdone at 27, 28. It went to 30. I mean, it just got ridiculously overdone. Technical resistance all over the place at thirty it was a textbook short at thirty dollars. Um, again, like I said, I thought I didn't think it would have that much gas to get up there. But you know, you're buying. She's coming to buy at twenty five, twenty six. Her followers are buying at thirty. You're paying ten, twelve percent more in some of these cases. In the VUZI, you're paying twenty percent more than she is. Well, that's alpha. That's just you know that that's just you know chasing money. That it doesn't make any sense to a certain extent because you, you, if you look now, if you're the first guy on there and you can get a 19 or 20 of the Vuzi, maybe you're making some money. And it's trading up again because she bought more of it. But, you know, it's up $2.50, up 13% because Kathy bought last night. Well, she bought it the day before, too. She bought it It's not 16, really new news. Yeah. It's yeah. not really new news. So in my, in my trading world, I think it's a short. You know, I think, you know, obviously markets go up, markets go down, so you got to do hedging factors and stuff. But I'll tell you, it's been scary to short Kathy stocks because of the follow-through. There hasn't been that much follow-through lately. So there's been a play to short the pops when they pop 15 20%. It's just overdone. So not popping them, if they're popping 1%, 2 3%, you know, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying when the, if, if her followers want to pay 20% more than she paid, they're probably paying too much, and there's probably some alpha to extract on the short side. Uh, Nola Trader makes a good point. It's like the 13 Fs, right? Same I mean, thing. Yeah, exactly. They, exactly. They pop up big time, and there's an opportunity on the short side, but the evil shorts. So, I mean, yeah, here we go and, again. Uh, 
We shouldn't say that because we're evil if we short stop. Four hundred. Uh, she did have some outflows, though. I did see that over the last couple of days. I mean, four hundred sixty-five million. I mean, whew, someone may be ringing the register. I don't know how much total oh, assets she has. That's that. yeah. I mean, come on. Some of these arcs. I mean, these things are. I mean, you got to take a profit, you know, sometime, right? Uh, so that's what you saw. But anyways. And, uh, and, okay, I want to just say again, I'm a short-term trader. People think, oh, yeah, you're shorting this thing. I'm going to be covering Tesla nah. at 900. Uh, your advantage of being a smaller trader and not being a hedge fund is you can get in and out fairly quickly. You're the small guy. This is a huge edge for traders. You know, you, you, the Reddit traders who are listening – Robinhood traders who are listening, the smaller traders who are listening, you have a huge edge over institutions because they move price. They're trying to get in and they're moving price and they're moving price. You can get in and out and in and out and in and out. You think I'm going to hold something 170 points against me on the short <laughs> side? What are you, am I stupid? I've never <laughs> lost that much unless it was a, I, I got taken over, you know, in the case of Celgene where I'm short the stock gets taken over the next day. That's happened to me once. Once or twice in my 21-year career where I've actually been short of stock and got taken over on me. So, I mean, you know, you're talking like one in a couple million event that that yeah. happens. It doesn't happen very – and I hold overnight. You're holding intraday. That's a very low probability. But when you're shorting stocks, it's about discipline. It's about having your levels. It's about, you know, looking, you know, okay, well, if I'm going in this on the short side, where am I going to get out? Where am I going to, you know, take the heat? I'm not holding some 100 points against me. You, if you're holding stocks in the long side, short side, and you're trading count 100 points against you, you're doing it way wrong. Risk management. Yeah, discipline. Point, yeah. Discipline. You know, usually I want immediate gratification. I usually wait until it starts to turn. I don't, you know, I wait till Tesla, okay. I was just going like to mention that. Puff, I was just going to mention that. Yeah, it's still going up. It's still going up. I'm not sure Tesla yet. I have no position on it. But if it starts to look heavy after the open, it looks like, oh, there could be some profit takers and the market starts to roll over, I'll short it. I'm not scared. I'll short stocks. I mean, you have to. As a trader, you've got to be able to go both ways. And it's not evil. It's called price efficiency. That's what it's called. It's not betting against America. It's keeping prices in line. I've given this example on the ETFs before. A thousand before. times, yeah. A thousand times I've given this example. You know, you have 500 stocks in the S&P 500 making up the SPY. If you don't have short selling it, the SPY price is going to deviate from the 500 stocks. It's arbitrage traders that keep that price efficient. I participate in that process. That's not evil. It's called market efficiency. I think if I go back when back when I was evil and I used to short stocks, uh, <laughs> I I can I can honestly say the best shorts I ever had is when I caught something when it was going down. Always, yeah. You don't fight the momentum. Oh, this is what you know. People you know that don't know what they're doing are doing wrong. They're shorting stock. It's too high. I'm going to start shorting it now. I'm going to start shorting it down. Nope. Wait till it starts to look like it's petering out. It's called tape reading. These are skill sets that are developed over time by reading the tape. And you can feel it. Joel, you can feel it too. You've traded for so long. There's still a lot of skilled tape-reading traders out there that make money on the short side and make money on the long side. They go both ways, but they feel the tape and they feel the difference. And as you get more screen time, you get a better feel that way. But you know, shorting stocks when they're going straight up is a recipe for disaster. You want the momentum on your side. When they start to turn, that's when there's an opportunity there. But I'm not, you know, short everything, short America. Oh, I only make money on the short side. I go both ways. I've also, been long, also, I've been long like crazy on this. Market. Also, you have different methods for shorting. I mean, you know, uh, let's say analyst ratings or something. You know, you have a built-in formula where you, where you what you think it's worth. Um, also. 
I, I don't know how much because you're not trading as much intraday, uh, but when you're doing your opening order uh, orders and you want to yeah. short something, something like, uh, you know, a big, thick stock. You know, if there's a half a million, you know, J and J is up two bucks. If there's a half yeah. a million at one, I'm just using examples. I'll, here. I'll give you some great examples here, Joel. Right to your point here yesterday, I talked about the energy trade and potentially some of those stocks, value stocks yesterday, being a fade into the strong open. Did you see where some of those stocks opened yesterday? On a day the market was getting hammered, they were like, "Oh, we gotta buy value." Well, I talked about it on the show. I said the trade could turn on that. I got short Chevron. CVX on the opening tick, the opening tick. Bring up the chart, Chevron from yesterday. I got short a hundred bucks. The opening tick. Bring it up. Okay. Look at look at the. So you got to go into an intraday. Can you see the opening candle? Do you see yeah, it on it's top see. left? Do you see yep. the top left? Do you see the top left candle? Yep. I yep. took zero heat on that trade. I got short a hundred bucks on that opening print. The thing was ninety nine dollars in like a minute. In like a minute, come right in ninety-eight. I covered too soon, always. But ninety-eight. <laughs> I said, if I would have heard hell for ten minutes, I'd made three points on that in ten minutes because the thing went straight down. You got a day where they're selling stuff across the board, and you're seeing stocks like Boeing, BA, gapping up. I mean, and and well, Chevron was just ridiculous. But there was a lot. I got short, like I don't know how a pile of stocks that got short on the open. A, a lot of value names because money initially thought, oh, we got to buy these stocks. But it was such a weak day. It was predictable they were going to start selling everything. Yeah. It that, was, that's why I said Viacom. Ring the register on that one. Viacom opened at the opening tick high, 67. It was 64 20 minutes later. There's opportunities on the short side, too. You've got to be able to go both ways. If yeah. you're, you're going to do this as a professional, as, if you want to do this for a living, I'm going to tell you, very hard to just make money always on the long side because you're going to get into these runs where you get into a 2007 to a 2009 where all the money was being made on the short side. T last 10 years, you can be a primary long-only trader and you're kicking ass and taking names. But in normalized markets, you are going to get periods of six months to a year to a year and a half where longs are just not working. So you've got to be able to go both ways as a pro. All right. Spencer, you still here? Who, me? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm still around. I'm still around. Hey, did did anybody watch? Uh, oh, I know Dennis did. Uh, did anyone else watch Dave Portnoy versus uh, Vlad on Twitter last night? Interesting video. Uh, I did. I watched yeah. it too. Yeah. What you think, Trip? Well, I'll go to Spencer first. Okay, go Spencer. I, I, I kind of had the same thoughts. Me and Spencer were talking. Yeah. About. I uh, okay. actually, you know, it's, I, I'm going to borrow uh, a thought that some I saw from somebody else on Twitter, uh, which was. Um, for for better or worse, like Dave Portnoy do doesn't have like the the technical knowledge to make it like yeah. to have made it the most useful conversation. That being said, though, Dave definitely got like got Vlad whatever he said got Vlad to like explain it a little bit better, right? He explained it a little bit better, like the mechanics behind what what Robin Hood had to do and and why they had to do it. Um, uh, Vlad, they sort of went around in circles a lot where Dave was like, why didn't you just re also restrict selling? And Vlad didn't really give a good answer. And then Dave asked it again. And they just, this, the circle went, went around a few times. And I, like it, it all, <laughs> if Vlad had just said, Hey, 
if we restricted selling, people would have sued us. I feel like that would have like gotten Dave off his back a little bit. Well, I don't um, understand. I don't understand the point he was making. You you were making that point in the pre pre market show. Like Dave Portnoy was saying, well, why if you would have just stopped the selling, none of this would have happened. Well, Robinhood doesn't like you were saying. Robinhood doesn't control the stock. Right. The exchanges control the stock. Not all right. the volume was going through Robinhood. I mean, you've got Weeble. You know, retail's only what twenty twenty three percent of the market, twenty four percent of the market. Right, but but, so Vlad, I, but Vlad, I'm not shut down. On but but Vlad stock. didn't say that. If, if all Vlad had to say was, hey, 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 what what happens if Robinhood restricts selling and then nobody else does? Then then, yeah. then, then, then we're screwed, right? It's so, poor communication, really. Yeah, that's I all mean, he had to you know, say. He he knows his stuff. He's just not communicating it well enough to the yep. audience. Now Portnoy, I don't understand what point he was trying to make. I don't think. I, I hope he doesn't think that Robinhood controls the entire market because I, it's not the case. I don't think he thinks that. It's, yeah. it's not even close to the case. I mean, and one, and if you decide, okay, just don't allow them to sell. Could you imagine? GameStop's at $350, and you're not allowed to sell the stock you bought yesterday? That's a much bigger problem than that's I think. That's a much that. bigger problem. <laughs> that, that's evil. I mean, then, you're lo- yeah. and then you watch the stock fall, and you're not allowing people to get out? How does that work? So that makes no sense at all. And, and you know what? Um, you know, I did watch it. I think, I think Vlad did a pretty good job. You know, but, again, he doesn't communicate it, like you said, well enough that you know he's not making those points yeah so i think gamestop was going down either way and i've made this point before too we had you know some information come out from citadel executions showing retail trades coming um and during that week of gamestop right, the week selling. that it went from 200 to 300 to 480 and what we and what was uh, uh, what you could see in those trades is that the retail flow was fairly evenly balanced. And what does that mean? It means there was kind of equal buys and equal sells. So it's telling me that retail actually wasn't the driver to take the stock from 200 to 480. Retail probably was a driver to take them from 40 to 50 to 60 and maybe even to 100. But there was other participants that took over after that. There was algo oh, action. Me and Joel were boy. looking at it. There yeah. was a lot of algorithmic action after that. Um, it was hedge funds trading in there like crazy. Crazy price and profit. Oh man! Bing, bing, bing! Buying yeah. a bid, selling the offer. Bam, bam, yeah. bam, bam. It bam. wasn't controlled by retail. The retail didn't drive it to 480. There was other participants, and their retail may have helped. But again, when the flows are even, if you got kind of equal number of buys, equal number of sells, it's going to kind of be the recipe for the stock not to go really anywhere. So right. there's got to be net, you know, active buyers that are going to probably bring it higher than that. So that's 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 just my thought process. And yeah. obviously we don't know who's on the side of each trade. Maybe it was all buys in the morning, maybe it was all sells in the afternoon. But I mean there was other players in there. So I don't think, you know, limiting Robin Hood buys did anything to really crater the stock. So I completely disagree. Okay. Uh, can I just say one thing, the reason hmm? I didn't watch it? It's because it's uh, why? Why do you, you think? were watching a Michigan volleyball match? On the Big Ten Network? No. I, I just think it's old news. Okay. <laughs> we've been, like, talking about it for, like, what? I feel that's, that's like, we've been, I mean, I think anybody on Wall Street who's broken this down and talked about it in the analytics. So I, yeah. I kind of think it's, you know, it's old news. I'm talking to the market structure expert king of the world with the SEC. I mean, it's so, for me, I just feel like it's old news. That's okay, why I didn't leave. All right. Okay. Let's, let's move on here. Uh, there's a bunch of news to discuss, right? We, we could talk workhorse. We could talk Fisker. We could talk earnings. Uh, J&J just had a headline. Uh, so many directions to go. go here. 
Uh, let's just let's just. I think we do, should do the workhorse. Yeah, let's we? start with yesterday, and then we'll work towards today. So workhorse, that news was out at three o'clock uh, Eastern yeah. time yesterday. They did not get the U.S. Postal Service contract. It went to Oshkosh, uh, which is of course based in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, uh, ticker OSK. Um, so that's uh, so workhorse fell what fifty five percent in like a half yeah. hour yesterday, mm-hmm. um, from three to like three thirty somewhere around there. We and knew this was a binary event that was eventually going to happen. We just didn't know um, the direction. When. We didn't know and when. when. We didn't know the timing, and we didn't know the direction. But we knew if they got the contract, the stock was going to explode. If they didn't get the contract, the, the stock was going to implode. We had said, talked about this. We haven't talked about it lately, but we talked about this a lot on the show. And that's why I just wanted to stay awake because I didn't know the timing. I don't want to get caught on the wrong side. If they don't get the contract, obviously that's the fall. It's the fall over done. I don't know. I thought it would fall 50%, so it kind of fell when I thought it would fall. Um, you know, when it got down to 12 bucks yesterday, is there still an opportunity to buy the dip on a stock like this? Maybe, but it's a big, you know, now you got a lot of bag holders in here. I, I don't think it just bounces right back, but I don't know. If you were holding for 32, 33, selling it at 14, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, boy, oh boy! Uh, well, I can't use my overalls joke again because I used that on the uh, <laughs> on the afternoon show. I used to have the white and the blue jean overalls. You know, you flip it down and you clip it up on the side. Nice. Uh, but did you do um, did you do any research on this? Uh, did you know that Oshkosh and who else was in the running? Because I'm really no. disappointed in myself because that's a big company, you know, that's been around for a long time. So it's not an obvious Adam kind of thing, but, uh, you know. You're saying they had a better shot. I, I mean, I didn't even research it. I didn't do anything. About no, I, I didn't, didn't know, know about it. So if you do your homework, I mean, that would have been a, a nice little flyer there. I mean. Stock at all time high, great looking trend compared to workhorse, but uh, that stock, wow, one seventeen fifty. All of a top, wow, someone got really excited this morning. Holy mackerel! They still are. Oh, that was after hours. Yeah, Holy they mackerel! Still are excited. Oh, people get excited on news. Wow, Any this news is they get regeneration excited. of things. Wow, that is weird. Anyways, one twenty was yesterday's high. And then where you want to take us? Uh, Fisker this morning. Uh, they they got a deal with a subsidiary of Foxconn uh, to support a project to develop a, quote, Ooh, breakthrough electric vehicle. No terms of the deal were disclosed. This PR hit the hit the tape at what time? Um, oh, I lost my press releases. Uh, PR hit the tape at 7.02 this morning. What a nice opportunity yesterday. I wish I would have said this one on the show. I've, I've already got it, um, so I didn't think of it. Um, Filled the man, gap, Pulling right yesterday. back into that 15, 16. Yeah. I think Fisker, I still think like this is going to, you know, we already know, like this isn't concepts anymore. They've already got the deal with Magna to go and produce these cars. Now, yes, it's not going to be till 2023 or 2024 where we're actually going to start, you know, I, I don't know the actual, but I, I know it's, it's still a year or two out. But they've got, you know, the, the assembly. Magna's going to, you know, make these cars for Fisker. These cars are going to start being on the road. I, I got to think eventually, and, you know, the, and the cars are pretty cool cars, too. And that Fisker guy is smart, man. So he, this is, you know, a very, obvi- obviously, you know, Tesla is all about Tesla. But, I mean, you're looking at the market cap on this thing. Where is it? Three bill? Uh, when I when I bought it, it was three billion. Let me just go see. Is it? I mean, uh, it it's a it's 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 a lottery ticket that eventually this might be a major EV player, and that's it, why um, I'm long it. 
Um, I'm long Fisker. I'm staying long it because I think this could be a major player in EV um, sooner than later even. Five billion it's worth up here. Um, so I think I bought it was about three and a half billion. So I, don't, I must have bought it lower than that. But No, you did. I remember you talking about this thing forever and it was around 15, I, I've been in 16. it forever. I think yeah. I even bought it at 13 or 14. I bought this thing a long time ago. So Doesn't Raz know the, know the guy that uh, is behind this? Didn't he Henry talk Fisker? about that? And he's a local guy in Rochester or something, Spencer? Is, or Henrik, is, is he Michigan? Mm, Am I mixing stories up? Yeah, that's Sandy. That's that's a different person. But does he have to something to do with Fisker, or is that a different stock? Uh, I can't say for sure. Ask Raz, because maybe we can try and get him on. That would be. I'd amazing. love to have Fisker on. Yeah, we, we should. Right. We should try to reach out to Fisker. I think he would come on. He's he's in the media every once in a while. He's tweeting. I bet you he would come on. All right, let him be known. I'm running it down. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna try to get Henrik Fisker on just to talk. Um, I like I like the story. I like the story. This is a this is this is still speculative capital, but I think they're gonna be. I think they could be. I think they could be a major EV player. And is it absurd to think that they could get a ten billion, fifteen billion dollar market cap eventually? I don't think so. I mean, not in this market. There's been a lot of companies that just conceptual having a bigger market cap than that. This is like, they got cars, and they're going to start seeing them on the roads eventually. So I like the story. All right. Uh, S&P's backed off. We got the interday high. We have the Globex high. We have a lot up there at 3,900. We just hit a big rebound yesterday. I think that's really important to get through that 3,900 today. We're about 12 and a half handles away. All right, 828, we're going to have our, our first guest, Michael Sonnenshine, is the CEO of Grayscale, on in about seven or so minutes. There's a bunch of questions from the chat that, that yeah, I, want, I, I want to get to. Uh, one question, this is a good one. Uh, i got to go scroll up and find it now because chat. All right, it was from, it's from Walgreens Coupon Deals. I guess you like your coupons uh, nice. in chat. There we go. Uh, he or she likes technicals, but when a catalyst comes into the picture – how do you balance both? How do you balance technicals and a news catalyst? We've talked about this before. Um, I use I, okay. So the catalyst is going to determine the direction. Uh, when there's a new event, when there's an event happening, this is why you know if you're just looking at a chart and holding through earnings, it's hard. You know, so once the news comes out, then it'll give you the technicals you can look at to the level of where it might go on that news. You can see like. It, so it's not going to give you the direction. So when you have a catalyst, it could go either way. So you can't worry. You can't look at the chart really, you know, uh, prior and say, if you've got an earnings event coming up, like last night, I wouldn't be holding in, or, you know, Jemiah into the earnings. But, you know, it's, we'll just do this as an example. But because Jemiah reports earnings, I don't want to hold it through because I don't know the direction. I don't know if it's going to be good or I don't know if it's going to be bad. But when they buy it up, it's like, okay, well, now I can look at the chart and I can say, and this is a hard chart to look at. I could say, if this got anywhere near 60 I would probably be a seller because that's where you broke down from originally. So that's how I'm using the chart now after the fact, Jack. So looking, you know, at the catalyst, you know, okay, now it's giving me the direction. Where could this go? You know, what kind of, you know, gas could this have in the tank? Um, you know, so I'm looking at potential, you know, and looking at how much a stock can move on, on that news. I know uh, you do the same, Joel. When you have major news, you try to look at, you know, okay, yeah, where could this I mean, go? I mean, you're, I'm a little bit, you know, older man and slower, so I'm not as, like, chasing things like this, but I just never even bright when you train. I mean, if if I'm chasing more, I, like, I'm not a chaser. Like, if I see a headline or something and, I, you know, I feel like I could get it at, you know, a reasonable price, yeah. yeah, but I'd be more like, wow, I'm long ABC and this news just came out and everyone's going crazy, you know, where, you know, 
you know, where would the fade be? So I, I think that that would be, um, I'm just not as skilled as you are. And you're also, you know, you're trading like during the day, you're like the algos are going to smoke you after hours. You still have some algos, but they're oh, not, nice. yeah, they're not as aggressive. So that's kind of where De- Dennis has his edge. Dumber. Like, yeah. Yeah. D- I, a lot of I, dumb they, ones. they overdo it. They yeah, overdo, they overdo it. it. And that's yep. like the Palantir was a great example too. Um, you know, if you have your ducks in a row, Kathy Pop, well, you know, where is it top out? Same day, same place, 30, 44, 30, 19. So that $30 it took another day. Big. It took another day. It took day. another day. It took two days to really get there, but it gives you, you know, that level where, you know, so you're looking at, you know, Kathy's, okay, Kathy's bought it. Where could this go? I didn't think I had the gas to get to 20, you know, 30, but if right. it got up there, I said it would be a good shorting opportunity. It did turn out to be the case. So, I mean, you the can, way that's I what looked you at look it, at. the way I looked at that is it did, you have to remember, it did come down off earnings. So that's fundamental information. That's where the, you know, the street treated it after earnings. And when it got up there on Thursday, I was thinking, is this going to fill the gap? You know, that was kind of what I was hoping for. I was hoping for a little less risk, get up there and fill the gap and tried to short. But, you know, there was just, there was just too much resistance there at 30. So I hope that answered your question. <laughs> kind of Sandy Monroe. That's who it is. Yes. He invested. Yes. Yep. Yep. Try and get him on. Uh, yeah. I rise, rise, rise knows him. So we'll, thank you, uh, Michael. We'll go through. Awesome. Uh, rise. Okay. We, we did get some breaking news. Uh, what? Dur- what? Dur- during the show. Oh, no, I was way too quiet. Yeah. Let, I told me, you to turn that up yesterday. Let me, let me turn it louder. Hold on. That was not, not acceptable. I don't know how to turn my volume louder. Let's try that. All right. That might be copyrighted, by the way. I'm not. Uh, is that from you think, you think? That's <laughs> yeah, brilliant. You think? Uh, Johnson & Johnson. Um, FDA uh, analysis of their vaccine showed it, it, it's highly effective um, uh, and talked about the efficacy against uh, new strains. Uh, so in, uh, in South Africa, the Johnson Johnson vaccine showed an efficacy of uh, – 73 percent um uh, sorry an increase in efficacy uh from 73 percent to 81 percent uh and so just a lot lot of data out this morning about the j and j vaccine candidate uh and looks it all looks good so here's you got an example you've got a move i knew you're gonna do this yeah this is this is a perfect example to, to again go to our last question so you've got a move so where do you look first i would first look learning it from joe yesterday's high 63.19. 63.19. If it gets through there, then you see all those levels at 165 kind of jumps out at you. So that's the next logical level. So that's how we're using technical on a headline. So it gets up to 163. Yesterday's high, 163.19. Peter's out, which it already did in the pre-market. Um, that, you know, is concerning. That means that's a significant level where it might struggle to get through. And 165 would be the level after that. So using technicals if, off the headline. If Triple D was watching this, I would have probably – I didn't – you know, you. I don't know if you would have been – quick enough to look at yesterday's high but i would have taken about 163 you know it's a whole number it traded down made a double bottom yesterday you know hey let's uh you know let's put some orders out there at 163 but you wouldn't have thrown an order out there at 163 you might have went okay it went up to 160 oh almost 163.50 and then it came back down through 163 so then you would have maybe struck then when it came you know instead of yeah, like instead uh, of fighting the momentum Yep, throwing it uh-huh. out there. 
We got Mr. Uh, Sun is Shine in the queue yet? Yeah, or... he, he's here. He's in the background. Uh, I want to give him an, another minute or so to get settled, but we're going to have oh. him on. Before we go to Michael, though, I just want to uh, make your programming note. Uh, said this yesterday. We're doing the same thing again today where we're doing different streams for every show. So I'll be on. This stream will be on until 930. At 930, we're going to hop off and switch over to the, to the Get Technical stream, which, I, which we will link to in the chat. It's also on YouTube.com slash Benzinga. Uh, so at at nine thirty, th- there's no reason to watch this stream anymore. It's going to end, and then you'll have to hop over to get technical uh, to keep watching uh, Benzinga's content. So uh, just putting that out there. We're, we're trying it. We got some good feedback yesterday. We're improving. We're going to see how it goes, but we're trying it at the very least uh, for this week. Uh, also on a programming note, uh, tomorrow and Friday, uh, pre market prep will be the only live programming on our YouTube channel. Uh, due to the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference. Um, so after Pre-Market Prep ends tomorrow and Friday, we're going to pivot to uh, Cannabis Conference all day. And that's Not gonna... at the close? No at the close on no, Thursday No Friday? at the close Thursday and Friday. It's going to be just Pre-Market Prep straight to Cannabis Capital Conference uh, all day uh, for Thursday and Friday. Just pro- programming note there. Okay. Let's, yeah, let's pre- talk about what, one more thing now for yeah. you, that show with Neil. Do you guys have like a song or something? to uh to start it out we have a I, we have an intro video yeah um because instead of uh i got a song for you you lay it on me let's get technical let's get technical oh, okay technical. Yeah. You, remember, you remember that let's song get, all right all right no one's gonna like that that, that often right. might be copyrighted I, yeah i know well that's a problem <laughs> all right <laughs> we're still on material here <laughs> let's bring on our guest michael sunshine is the ceo of the ceo of grayscale investments michael good morning Good morning. Uh, first, I want to congratulate you. Last we spoke, you were merely a managing director at, at Grayscale, and now you're the uh, CEO. Yeah, thank you. Congratulations. Uh, honored and humbled to be in the role. So let's let's just first talk about the overall crypto market uh, domination in 2021 compared to other asset classes, uh, last couple of days notwithstanding. Uh, what, what do you make of the run that Bitcoin's had this year so far? I'm candidly not surprised. I mean, when I think about what 2020 was, it was a watershed moment for the asset class as a whole. You know, at Grayscale, we brought in over, you know, $5.7 billion last year. Uh, We saw some of the world's most famous and experienced investors publicly come out in support of the asset class. We saw corporates beginning to allocate to Bitcoin on their balance sheets. And when you think about what some of those you know, major moments like that are and the fact that they had never happened before, it definitely created quite a bit of tailwinds for additional participation. And I think we're seeing a lot of that momentum continue into 2021 and actually maybe is building on 2020's momentum. So you're not surprised. All right. Yeah, not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's fair. Well, what about like, not not just Bitcoin. Like, what, what about the, the entire crypto market? Because it's been, it's not just Bitcoin that's been on fire. Well, I would certainly say that there is a general appreciation now amongst the investment community that crypto as an asset class is here to stay, that it is in fact an asset class, and that does mean that it is in fact more than just Bitcoin. So we are seeing investors increasingly diversify their crypto exposure, looking at areas like Ethereum the emergence of DeFi, other altcoins, 
in really seeing that there are in fact some benefits to having some diversified exposure within their crypto holdings. I got a couple of questions, Michael. Uh, just uh, looking, obviously, your structure. First, do you see a Bitcoin ETF eventually getting approved here? Obviously, your your grayscale is one of the only ways. If you're looking at uh, you know and investing, it's not that easy. Um, do you think eventually? I know we're seeing in Canada, we saw ETFs get approved here now. Do you think eventually ETFs going to get approved in the U.S.? I do think it eventually will get approved. I think what we're what we're seeing now is you know, an increasingly mature market. This rally in the price appreciation that we've seen in the asset class does in fact look very different than what we experienced in 2017. The market is much more two-sided. We've seen the launch of derivatives, a lot more players in the market. And so it is really beginning to mature. So here in the US, it'll be a matter of when, um, not so much a matter of if. And the addition of new products or new ability for investors to gain exposure to this asset class, we view generally as a good thing and almost kind of creates this normalizing or normalization of crypto, if you will. Is that something you guys would participate in then is uh, launching an ETF if they, you had the ability to do that? I certainly wouldn't rule it out. I mean, I think the important thing to note for those you know listening to this is that investors aren't waiting for an ETF, right? That's probably the most important aspect of this. Investors are not sitting on the sidelines and not getting involved in crypto because there isn't an ETF yet. Um, and we're seeing, you know, ever more participation in the market um, across everything from retail investors all the way to the other end of the spectrum, you know, endowments and pensions and now even corporates. So, so Michael, what what is the impact of uh, crypto or Bitcoin ETFs on, on Grayscale products? Well, I think it, it's going to open up the product um, to potentially an even wider audience. Um, I think, as you guys know, our two largest products, our Grayscale Bitcoin Trust and Grayscale Ethereum Trust, became SEC reporting companies. Um, and that certainly provided some additional air cover for investors to participate because SEC reporting means that investors get to enjoy the same protections and disclosure obligations that they get when they invest in other public companies or ETFs or other investment instruments or access products. And so I think that certainly broadened um, the group of investors that felt that this was now actionable for them. And so I would venture to guess that the approval of an ETF would widen um, the actionability of this to an even wider audience of investors. Uh, I, I'm just looking, just taking that question further, because in Canada, what we just saw happen was QBTC, um, which was, you know, not an ETF, but obviously investing in Bitcoin. Uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with product or not. Um, but um, once they approved an ETF in Canada, what we saw was QBTC was trading at a substantial premium because there wasn't a lot of ways to get into Bitcoin. What happened was they approved a couple, uh, they've got a, a couple ETFs now in Canada, Bitcoin ETFs. What we saw was that premium came out immediately out of QBTC because you've got the creation redemption aspects of an ETF. Um, are you concerned at all that, you know, that could happen? And is there any way that, you know, because obviously a GBTC tr trades at a premium over the markets um, or over the NAV. Are you concerned that that premium could come out? And is there any way for you to roll that over into an ETF if you have that opportunity? There's certainly the ability to roll it into an ETF. I think okay. ultimately the price at which these products trade is really driven by the market. Yes. Um, 
and is really a function of you know sentiment and participation. But perhaps I'd, I'd venture to guess that there still is not enough supply of shares to meet the ever-growing demand. Um, and we're seeing that in, in a variety of grayscale products. Um, you know, one being our, our large cap fund, which um, trades under the symbol GDLC, Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund. And, you know, going back to your guys' point about diversification and is this an asset class beyond Bitcoin, we've seen a lot of uptake for the digital large cap fund because investors have increasingly been saying, I want exposure to this asset class. I can't pick winners. I can't pick, you know, avoid losers. But if I can make one investment and get broad-based exposure, that would be a really attractive investment opportunity for me. So I think you're going to see more um, of that kind of broad-based allocation, although certainly no shortage of investors only wanting to invest in Bitcoin as well. We're on the line with Michael Sunshine. He's the CEO of Grayscale Investors. Joining us here again on Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. The first time was in December of 2018. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, thank you so much for coming on all these times. Uh, two questions for you here. I'll throw it to you one at a time. Uh, there was a little speak of uh, Fed speak yesterday about the U.S. perhaps doing going to a digital currency. Uh, what what do you think the chances of that happening, and what kind of impact do you think that will have on Bitcoin? Well, so I think we have to remember that any digitization of the U.S. dollar, which you know today is already quite digital, um, if that eventually moves to a tokenized version or resides on a blockchain it'll still look and feel and be materially different than something like Bitcoin because it'll still have its policies, rates, printing, retracting, et cetera, all dictated um, by a government and by policymakers, which you know is a very, very different um, system than what we see in the decentralized nature of Bitcoin itself. So I would say that the U.S., as are many other countries around the world, exploring the development of central bank digital currencies um, and other projects to, um, you know, tokenize or digitize their their fiat systems. And do you see this as, I mean, right now it's a it's a store of value, but really for it, do you ever see it becoming mainstream? Like right now, if you want to go buy a candy bar. Or something. I mean, <laughs> is, is there ever going to be? I mean, what point of that? It, I mean, it, right now it's hype. It's it's. Uh, a, you just everyone's just buying it because there's a limited amount of holding it. But to me, in order to be a you know a real currency, I mean, to have value, uh, you know, do you see that happening? And also, you know, if that's going to happen, how are you going to base it? It's such a volatile instrument. Like, let's say. I wanted to go buy a Tesla right now, and I wanted to buy it in Bitcoin. Okay, well, I'm looking at the futures around 49500 Do you do an immediate transfer of something like that? Or I say I buy it now, and I'll say, oh, I'll pay you in a couple of days, and then the price <laughs> drops. I mean, just to me, there's a lot of just a lot of things to be worked out for it to, you know, to become uh, mainstream. Yeah, I think this is one of the things that we really try and encourage people to avoid getting hung up on. The near-term use case for digital assets like Bitcoin is as a store of value, as a digital gold, as a digital inflation hedge. Um, a lot of kind of the historical roles that gold has maybe played in investors' portfolios. If people are kind of stuck on this idea that Bitcoin is somehow failing because they're not buying a latte with it, or um, they're not running around <laughs> spending, you know, 
their day-to-day um, living their lives using Bitcoin and that somehow means it's failed, they're, they're really overlooking the opportunity here. Um, that's not to say that Bitcoin can't or won't at some point in the future be used as a more transactional currency or be able to be used to move value around the world. But certainly in the near term, we're not advocating for or seeing that being the use case of how Bitcoin is being adopted and, and kind of growing in terms of its user base and folks who are investing in it. Michael, can you explain why the Grayscale products don't trade on exchanges? Yes, yeah, so the Grayscale products um, trade you know, on the OTC market here in the US, which is where many ADRs trade. Uh, companies like Roche, Adidas, Volkswagen, et cetera. And so in the absence um, of being able to register as a bona fide ETF, um, they are not trading on national securities exchanges like the NYSE or the NASDAQ. And so the, the path that we've pursued to provide liquidity um, is out on the OTC market. Um, and that's just really a function of regulatory approval. And also getting a product to market faster, I would have, right? Uh, certainly, yeah. It's yeah, okay. uh, certainly a, a marketplace that has um, become very, very robust. And when you look at some of the trading volumes that you see in some of these products, um, they, they really are starting to butt up against some of the more and most liquid um, access products out there on the market. Michael, Son- I'm sorry, Joel, go ahead. I just want to know how he came up with the name Grayscale. I'm sure he didn't uh, come up with it. <laughs> well, how it is a long story. Well, we um, like okay. long stories. We love stories. <laughs> okay, that's okay. Um, but happy to come on again and tell you guys more about Grayscale. Uh, <laughs> that's too long of a story. For sorry, guys, I don't know. Someone in the chat asked. Uh, it's a fair question it's a fair question (laughs) all right we'll get it it next time you guys can get it next time that's a good reason to have me back to chat with you guys (laughs) michael sonichon is the ceo of grayscale investments uh the the provider of various uh cryptocurrency securities uh michael is always a pleasure thanks for the time thank you guys stay safe take care all right thanks michael all right. Uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, was too long of a too long of a, of a story. I go tell long stories all the time. <laughs> yeah. that is, that's like the beginning of the show. Um, what's going on in the market, guys? Leaking Come a on bit. now. Well, they're buy the, they'll buy the dip right. again, Joel. No, that's what they that, do. Uh, what's going on? Someone tell me what is going on. I don't have CNBC on. I'm not looking at it. We dropped 20 handles. That's significant. There's something going on. Someone said something bad somewhere about something. No, I'm 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 being serious here. There's something out there. Do we There's have a lot a, of volatility a, um, right now? Wow. I mean, this market has had a Wee! lot of volatility. Look at this. Give me an uptick here. Holy moly. What's mid range on this session? We're getting near there. I have to go to my other charts for that. Uh boom. We're leaking. We're leaking. It's almost time to cancel all my orders. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're right. we're leaking a little bit here. It's been a pretty significant sell-off here in the last 20 minutes, so I'm not sure the catalyst. Again, we're very volatile right now. So, you know, when you see the markets tanking as much as they did yesterday, it's not a straight-up ride back and all the volatility has gone all of a sudden. There's still people spooked from yesterday. I lightened up some positions yesterday just because I was spooked. Um, not into the fall, but actually into the rally, and I was tweeting about it afterwards. You had a wicked rally you know, back, you know, an hour later that we talked about. And, you know, even towards the end of the day. And I had a lot of SPACs. And a lot of those SPACs were completely under attack. And mm-hmm. I was getting hammered. So, you know, when we rallied up and a lot of these SPACs, actually some of them came back to the positive. Some went green. Wow, um, I used that cool. opportunity to just lighten up a little bit because I realized my SPAC exposure 
was maybe a little bit too much. Overall, market exposure wasn't bad, but I had too many SPACs. So I did lighten some of them up. And into uh, into the rally, into into the closing rally as well. I don't know. I don't know why you sell, Dennis. I really don't. Ever. Man, we just <laughs> just it. don't sell. You know what? It's wrong move every okay. time. Okay, it seems we, like the wrong move. We should cover some earnings. I okay. buy and sell a lot. This is what I do. Yeah. I buy and sell. Sell, yeah. buy, sell short, buy, buy, sell. I do it a lot. Uh, can That's we do some? Make my living. Can we do some earnings? Because we haven't covered any earnings, and there were there were a bunch yeah, yeah. yesterday and Go. today. All right, so let's just start with because uh, it was mentioned in the chat just now. Jemiah. Uh, reported earnings this morning. Uh, earnings per share, $0.62 cent loss versus a $0.47 cent loss estimate. Uh, revenue of 497 versus $50.8 million. So they came in below estimates on both EPS and sales. Joel, pull up that Jemiah chart. Let's take a look. Okay. At... All right. Let's look at uh, Jemiah here. I got I, I, the... I'm, seeing a, I'm seeing a different screen up for you. I'm seeing oh, your, I'm sorry. your, your oh, other let window. Me... Oh, I got to get rid of that. I can't show that screen. Uh, here we go. There we go. Oh, yeah, boy. Thanks, Spencer. Yeah. Um, man, this one, at the same time Gene told me to buy uh, Lith, uh, LTHM, he mentioned this one at five bucks. I kind of wish I would have bought that wow. one. I bought it at uh, yeah. 13 originally. Yeah. I bought Jemiah at 13. Yeah, I bought it after it. Andrew left. Andrew left was saying this could be a hundred dollar stock. Yeah, he likes it. He likes yeah, it. and 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 it, and it ran to like eighteen, nineteen, and it pulled back to thirteen eventually on that. That's when I bought it. But again, you know me, selling way too soon. I sold some at twenty five. I sold some at thirty. And I sold the last of it thirty eight. I'm not so going to sixty eight. So yeah, know, boy. I never stick around. I like to take the first bites. I don't like to eat the whole meat or the whole thing. Okay. So. Uh, this one, I know it's not perfect here, but you know you had somebody someone... hammering it right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's somebody, okay. there's somebody trying to get short right now. This is a good opportunity. I don't know if you can show, but um, because the tick rules in there, because it fell more than ten percent. Oh yeah, there's it, actually it, it, somebody it's, it's trying to get short the stock. It, it's been a while since we explained that, so explain that. Um, so when a stock falls more than ten percent, the up the alternative uptick rule applies for that day and the next day. So right now, JMIA is under the alternative uptick rule. He just got done. 49.10, so all the way down. He just took it down a dollar and a half to try to get done on that. But you can see it's a short because it's moving down with the offer. They can't hit the bid, so it's moving down. Uh, as you know, if you put the, if you put your order out there for to sell short at 49, it's under the uptick rule. They'll put it at 49, right above the, the bid, best bid price. So it's bed, best bid 49.02. Even though your order is 49, they'll be out there 49.03. So it was chasing it down, so that's why you could tell it was a short order. It was 20,000 shares to sell it short. It just got down to forty nine ten though, so they just took down a buck and a half on that. So sorry, I jumped in because it was a cool. Um, oh, that's okay. To tell you about oh, the tape. Talk market structure. Uh, just hanging out mid range on the session here, folks. A little bounce there, thirty eight seventy four. I was gonna say there's some overhead supply here, right? Because you came down hard. Someone wanted out ahead of the report, so I'm th now you got people stuck. So I was gonna look to sell a bounce in this. Uh, you already got a pop at fifty. I don't know if you're going to get another shot at that. What's your two-day high? Oh, well, your two-day high is way up to 54.30. What's yesterday? Uh, you're above yesterday's high. I guess you can nine buck range. I guess. Ooh, let's look at the, the high from yesterday. Technicals are hard right now. Yeah. Wow. This is because you got such wild ranges. If it That's holds hard. 49, it has a chance to go back up. Back under 49, you're going to go down, but you're not going to get close to yesterday's low of 41.52. So that and a wooden nickel will help you out on that one. 
Uh, Here's a question, though, Joel. Do you think we uh, eventually test the lows, the ten, the nine forty-five lows on all these stocks eventually? I can obviously not right uh, now. No, but do you think eventually I, you go back to test those? Like you know that what? was a washout, flush, capitulation. We can see that because we've bounced. Easy in hindsight, you can say that. Um, are we going to do some? Are we just going to do some back and filling where there's going to be so many people who think they missed the bottom that you know they're going to be coming in way before that? I tend to think the latter that you're just going to back and fill and probably not. Yeah, I was just going to say that because I was thinking last night about, you know, uh, you know, where I was going to place some orders, you know, overnight. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to get anywhere near 0475. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? So there was it's hard and you really you cleared out a lot of numbers below there. So it's going to be a back and fill kind of thing. You know, unless you get some kind of uh, news event. So it's going to you may get back down there. But it's just gonna it's gonna be tough sledding. You're gonna see this kind yeah. of action. So that's a big number. The fact that you went ninety points off it, now everyone's scratching their head and like I missed buying the dip again. I gotta get out there. I gotta get a hold you know ahead of that old four seventy five. So that's the way I'm looking at it. I right now it doesn't look like it. You know, tomorrow night or tonight we open up down fifty handles, you know, then you got a you got a good number. But I agree with the back and fill on that one. Uh, let's do Square quickly. Uh, Square sure. had, had earnings last night. Let me bring up that banner. Um, just EPS, $0.32 cents versus $0.24 cents sales, $3.16 versus $3.09 billion, billion. More importantly, though, they said they bought $170 million worth of Bitcoin. That's approximately 3,300 Bitcoins last quarter. Wow. I mean, I don't know why all these companies want to continue to come in. I guess because they think wow, they're going to transact still going with down. it eventually. Maybe they think they're going to transact with it eventually. But, you know, Tesla, Square, people investing in Bitcoin as companies. I mean, I think you should be running your company, not worrying about investing in Bitcoin. But that's just my thoughts. It, it's, um, a, it's a balance sheet. It's a diversifier. It's a balance sheet. Yeah, but why, why do you even have cash like that on your balance sheet? You should be invest. Why, why do you? They like, are, I'm, they I'm, are I'm investing in Square. <laughs> They're What's that? They, they are investing. They're literally investing. That's what they're. That's what they're doing. Square is. Yeah, no, they're I investing. Know, but why are they doing that? I'm not investing in Tesla to invest in Bitcoin. I'm investing in Tesla so that they use their money to go and make and produce cars or solar. You know, or. Dennis, you know, are you getting hit on any bids here? Are you getting hit on any bids yet? Uh, yeah, not really. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I canceled a lot of it. <laughs> When we started imploding there. Joel's just caught up in the markets here. Um, you know, I just say yesterday's low. It's a big level for it. 232. Hard, yeah. I don't think you're going to get down there, but it is down 10 bucks. It gets anywhere near yesterday's low, you probably find buyers. So it's always traders is if-then scenarios. I'm always like Correct. setting it up, setting up a trading plan. If Square, I'm not saying it's going there. I'm saying if it was to go there, I would probably try to buy it at the 232, 233 level as a trade. So I would think that low would hold. Um, coming in at 244 in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, I'd be looking for yesterday's low here in this one. Down 12 bucks, rallied back yesterday. Everyone got caught up in it. I don't know. Messy chart here. TLT but... is getting hammered, man. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. So we are getting hammered. Oh, wow. Look it's down another $2.30. You're seeing banks left because of that, obviously. Um, TLT has go. been in this relentless, relentless, relentless downtrend. Um, every day just lower, every day just lower, and here is feels a little bit like whoa, this is a big you know sell here too. But I mean, wow. they are hammering the TLT right now. We're um, almost Dennis. We're almost back at the March low. On the 139. TLT, one thirty nine. Yeah, 
Yeah. Is he in the 10? 20 year, obviously, on the TLT, 1.65%. Yeah. But, I mean, you just think about it, you know, why in the hell you want to invest a get 1.65%. I mean, people think interest rates may be going negative, and that's why you do it. I don't know if they're going negative, so um, they, may, they may end up starting to pop up here. I mean, if we start losing it and inflation starts coming, you got to think rates could start going higher. So I think TLT... Yeah, I think people are reevaluating what Pump and Powell said yesterday, you know? They're I hammering mean, TLT. Yeah. Let's get the banks. This the is banks free fall. Like, free you know, falling now. You know who sings that? Yeah, we all know that. We, we, all, know, we all know who sings that. Nobody knows who sings that, Joel. Next. Right. No, no, no one knows the ABC World News Tonight song, but we all know uh, that Tom Petty sings Free Fall. Okay. <laughs> That's yeah, a good eight, song, though. 8.59. Uh, got a minute uh, or so left before I'm going to bring on um, our guest. Do you want to do, like, up work real fast? Because they yeah, night... Jason must be Rochambeauing all over the office, huh? <laughs> I think he's driving in right now. I think he's in his car. Okay. Give him um, an up work price. He wants Jason, if you're price. driving, please. Give him a price. God. Two if hands on the wheel, Jason. Please. No, yeah, he's he got two hands on the wheel when you tell him this price because he's going to be really excited. Sixty-one uh, <laughs> twenty-one. It's up ten bucks, Jason. Hold the car on the road, though. We know you're excited. Hold the car on the road with Tesla. Excitement. He doesn't. Up he's ten bucks. Even, he's oh yeah, he doesn't have to touch seat. the wheel. He doesn't have yeah. to touch the wheel. This every thirty yeah. seconds, he got to just tap it. It got Jason. It got to sixty-four fifty, dude. Put it on. Put a little nibble out there at sixty-four. I don't think you're gonna get it, but. That's it. It hit sixty-four Jason doesn't 50. sell. He'll sell at a hundred. Uh, it's no, just no, Jason, in here. Jason does sell. Jason does sell. Uh, yesterday or the former all-time high. I'll use that as support. Sixty forty-four. That's what you want to stay above. Jeez, dear Lord. All right, man. Chat is funny. Okay. We are yeah. ripping on these Bitcoin stocks here too this morning. I bought more Bitcoin. That's one thing I did buy on the dip of forty six thousand. I went into some of those ETFs. Oh, so it's okay for you to buy Bitcoin, but not square to buy. Yeah, because I'm an investor. Right. Tesla is supposed to be making cars and solar panels, not investing uh, in Bitcoin. So sorry. <laughs> Can't but anyways, they got absolutely hammered yesterday. Riot blockchain hammered. Mara hammered. There's a nice snapback rally in some of these stocks today. I think obviously. You know, people learn the hard way that just, be, you know, these are leverage plays. You know, we've obviously talked about this. You know, if Bitcoin goes to turn, these are going to fall a lot harder, and they did. Um, it's a nice snapback rally here today. I feel like that's kind of all it is. Can Mara fill the gap up to 3660? Maybe. I'd probably be a seller there, though. So I think, you know, rallies to be sold in these stocks here now because um, there's a lot of people that are hammered. So if you're coming and buying Mara up 12% today, I feel like you're on the wrong side of the trade. But, you know, these things are wild, so anything happen. All right. Uh, it is 9.01, guys. I want to bring on our next guest. I've been mentioning it for a couple of days. I'm going to mention it again. The Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference, a two-day virtual event tomorrow and Friday. Uh, we thought we'd bring on a couple uh, companies that are going to be there ahead of the event uh, to, to preview it and talk about the companies, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I want to bring on our guest now. Uh, first of two here, Puneet Dillon is the president and CEO and chair at Sky Bioscience, company formerly known as Emerald Bioscience. Uh, Emerald Bioscience. Uh, Puneet, good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me, Spencer. Uh, so you'll be, uh, and when I say you, I mean your company will be presenting, I believe, tomorrow morning, I think, if memory serves correctly. Tomorrow morning, uh, you're doing an investor presentation. Uh, Tell us a little bit with, without giving away the entire the entire thing. Tell us a little bit about Sky, what you're working on, and why. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, we're gonna uh, looking forward to your presenta uh, the presentation at the conference. So yeah, at a macro level, we're focusing on uh, developing these uh, proprietary kind of new class of uh, molecules. Uh, they're um, uh, designed to treat a whole variety of unmet medical needs. 
they're bioengineered. They're uh, synthetically um, or synthetic uh, cannabinoid derivatives. And uh, we're looking to really improve the therapeutic benefits in different applications. We've chosen one direct application that we're going into the clinic this year. Uh, that's in glaucoma. There's a huge unmet need in, in glaucoma. Uh, but just to be abundantly clear, we're 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 doing the pharmaceutical side of this, so uh, it's it's uh, it's not um, uh, you know walking into your your corner store, or, sorry, not corner store, but you know the retail cannabis shop and and picking up some um, uh, some product. Uh, this is uh, uh, specialized uh, in terms of um, seeing uh, what uh, how you can modify. Um, uh, a therapeutic benefit and really drive uh, value uh, in uh, particular indications. So, so what, what are the applications here? Like what, what diseases are we talking about? Yeah, so, so right now we've taken an approach uh, in terms of um, our LEAP program being uh, in glaucoma. It affects about 80 million people um, worldwide. It's, uh, it's one of the leading causes of irreversible blindness. Um, there's uh, a huge unmet need there because uh, not many, m most of the current therapies don't work very well. Um, most people have heard of anecdotes of, of how cannabis actually can work uh, in glaucoma, but um, there, the, uh, there's a, uh, the, the science behind this um, uh, uh, has been based on uh, uh, showing that THC um, the active molecule has been able to lower interocular pressure, which is the, the key kind of, um, uh, measurement here in terms of improving uh, 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 glaucoma patients. So um, the challenges with tr tr traditional approaches with cannabis has been, you know, it's a not it's poorly bioavailable. There's, uh, you know, this other kind of uh, associated uh, challenges uh, in terms of systemic delivery or uh, adverse effects. The most obvious one being the uh, psychoactive kind of effect you would get from smoking uh, cannabis. Um, the, the, the improvement here that we make is uh, by delivering a, a, a proprietary molecule that's uh, engineered in a way that makes it bioavailable, delivered directly to the eye, and then is able to improve um, uh, interocular pressure. And we've shown that in, in, a, in a bunch of different uh, studies to, to date. What is your timeline on uh, potential trial, re trial results uh, or timeline for approval? Yeah, so this year is a, a pivotal year for the company. We, we, we're, we, uh, since I've taken over, um, it's been uh, approximately six months. Uh, we've built the team up from, from the ground up, uh, and we're really focused on uh, uh, driving uh, value. There's uh, three particular um, milestones um, uh, uh, slated for the first half of the year um, that are all uh, uh, preclinical kind of enabling studies uh, before we get into human uh, studies in the second uh, second half of this year. Uh, so we have an ongoing uh, interocular pressure study that we're doing in animals. Uh, we're also doing a neuroprotection studies, the cannabinoid. Um, uh, cannabinoids have been shown to uh, be able to protect that optic nerve um, in the eye uh, uh, or other optic cell, uh, nerve cells in the eye. So uh, this is uh, important in terms in terms of differentiation of this molecule compared to other uh, approaches in glaucoma and then uh, we have um, uh, the other uh, kind of glp talks which is an important ind enabling study uh, but the key thing is getting into humans uh, we're we're, we're going to be doing our phase one trial it's uh, focused on assessing safety and tolerability it's um, uh, interestingly uh, you know it's it's one of 
the key safety assessments will be will be looking at changes in interocular pressure in healthy patients, but we also are looking at a small subset of patients uh, that have uh, glaucoma or elevated IOP. Um, so, um, um, so we're we're uh, excited about really taking that uh, that next step. Are there other potential use cases, or are you just solely focused on gla- glaucoma right now? No, there, so that's the thing. It's like this is a really meant to kind of drive a wedge in the door here for a larger opportunity. And I think uh, we have another molecule. I've been talking, uh, you know, so far about our lead molecule, which is uh, uh, focused um, on uh, THC. There, we have another molecule that's that's uh, called CBDVHS, uh, which is also proprietary. And it, our um, early studies have shown, um, you know, it has it has ability uh, to be uh, analgesic, anti-inflammatory, anti-fibrotic. Um, it, you know, there's already um, a, a very good case there in terms of um, showing uh, the anti um, kind of seizure um, uh, uh, capabilities of, of CBD. Um, I think you guys have been following uh, the acquisition of GW Pharma by Jazz Pharmaceuticals. That was, that was big news. That was big yeah. news. So that was huge validation for the space. You know, yeah. first time a CBD drug gets approved. Um, uh, first time a CBD drug has been approved by the FDA. And then now it's really expanding the Jazz uh, uh, pipeline uh, with, uh, with, with that merger. So I think there's a lot to be done in the cannabinoid space. We're really just... Um, uh, uh, touching um, um, the surface at the, this point, touching the, kind of the early part of the iceberg. Um, uh, we have uh, quite a bit to do, and um, I'm really excited about what this company uh, can can uh, can do. I, I I don't know if I think we spoke about this before, but you know, I came from the cancer immunotherapy space. I ran a yeah, company. Tell, tell us about that. I I was reading about that yesterday. Yeah, like I, I ran a company uh, for uh, a better part of 10 years and was associated with a technology for about 20 years. Uh, I, I worked at Inovio, and then I founded this company called uh, Oncosec uh, uh, Medical. Uh, when I started Oncosec, uh, there was only one cancer immunotherapy approved in terms of a new class of drugs. Um, and it's very much like that in terms of the cannabinoid space. So far, there's very few drugs approved. Uh, you know, uh, GW stands out in terms of uh, really being the pioneer, but uh, there's a lot that can can be transformed here in terms of uh, understanding the receptor network and the endocannabinoid system, what these molecules can do in terms of a wide variety of different therapeutic applications. Just like you saw in the cancer immunotherapy space in 10 years, you saw a complete shift, like now majority of cancers are being treated with uh, immunotherapy. GW is the only one, right? The guy that has FDA yeah. approval, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And Sky Trades on the OTC markets, right? Correct. Yeah. Right. We're trading yeah. A, on OTCQB uh, under the symbol SKYE. Okay. Uh, so, as I mentioned at the top, we're on with Puneet Dillon, present CEO of Sky Bioscience. They'll be presenting at our uh, virtual cannabis capital conference uh, on Thursday. Let me see here. It looks like 1040. AM Eastern Time on Thursday is, is their investor presentation, one of many throughout the day. Uh, Puneet Dillon, uh, thanks a lot for the time today. Uh, anything else you want people to know about the company before we go? No, I think this year, uh, keep keep track of us in terms of every single milestone that we're uh, focusing on achieving is, is is helping to build that confidence in terms of the execution of, of this company and the uh, uh, outcome that we're expecting in the clinical trial. Uh, it's a like I said, it's a pivotal year in terms of uh, 
it, it, it changing um, this, this company from a preclinical -cl pre company uh, to becoming a clinical company. So uh, uh, we're excited about continuing to keep investors apprised and uh, we hope uh, investors have a chance to participate. All right. Thanks a lot, Penny. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, I just, I, I want to, before I bring in our next guest, I just want to show you all uh, just a slate of companies presenting public companies that, that are presenting uh, at our conference for the next, next couple of days. So I, I made a watch list of Benzinger Pro. Look, look at all these stocks, all these cannabis stocks publicly traded that are presenting over the next two days at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference Thursday and Friday. You can go to BenzingaEvents.com. Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll put a link in chat. There's a, there's a specific link I was instructed to give y'all. Let's put that up right now. There it is. BZCannabis.com slash virtual. Put in chat as well. There you go, everyone. Um, just a ton. And 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 here here's the here's the schedule, right? I mean, just like two whole days of just endless programming, right? Talking dozens of executives, public companies, not all public, some private companies too. Uh, names like Canopy Growth, names like Curaleaf, uh, and our next guest as well, who who I'll bring on in, in a moment. Names like Trueleaf, names that you know, right? Companies that you know. Two whole days. The link is up on the screen. BZCannabis.com slash virtual uh we put on like three two or three of these events a year maybe three or four i don't know the exact number um but i mean the the reason we're preempting our normal programming is because these events take literally months to plan right like our our events team has been working on this since since last year right since, since the fall um so these events take a lot of time a lot of effort to put together and we're very excited for it. That's why we're, we're, we're preempting the rest of our, of our stuff uh, to the next two days. So Pre-market prep notwithstanding, uh, were, everything else is going to be um, either recorded or, or, or won't air live or, or won't air at all for the next two days. So I want to bring on our next guest here, uh, Gary Santo. He is the uh, president of Tilt Holdings. You may know that one. T-L-L-T-F is the ticker for Tilt. Let me bring Gary on now. Gary, how are we doing? Uh oh, I think Gary froze. Uh, we lost Gary. All right, we will uh, get Gary back here in a second. We had him and we lost him. Uh, but again, Gary Santo is the president of Tilt Holdings. Put the ticker up on the uh, uh, screen right now. Then we'll get Gary back in just a moment all right so we've stopped going down guys in the overall market we've stopped going down for now i've got the smps up on my screen which i guess says something i don't know what it says but uh a weird morning so far let me get that banner off yeah we uh we we've bounced at, at Brent Slava's behest, I put up a one-minute chart of the S&Ps. And we can even pull up SPY, too. But I'm looking at a one-minute chart of the S&P 500 futures. So we bounced off that, what, that, like, 38.63 area, 38.64 area. We bounced off there. We're kind of hovering now around 38.70. So bit of a bit of a drop there for a few minutes. But for the moment, we've stalled. All right, I think Gary's back. I'm, I'm going to get Gary here. Gary Santo again, president of Tilt Holdings. Gary, we have you. Good morning. How are we doing? 
Good morning. Sorry about that. No, I had you. I lost you and I got you back. It's all good. It's all good. Hopefully all right. the connection works. Cross all your right. fingers. Cross your fingers are crossed. Okay. Tilt Holdings is presenting. Uh, you're also presenting on Thursday, I believe. Uh, uh, you're, you're doing a, a one-on-one chat uh, at 11 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, tell us about Tilt. Tell us about what you're working on. Yeah, so you know, Tilt Tilt is a multi-state operator, uh, a little different than most of the ones you've probably heard about or or will be presenting uh, at the conference. Uh, you know, we're, we're a company that went public back in 2018, went through a couple little fits and starts, like a lot of cannabis companies do, and really just starting to hit our stride in terms of what our overall strategy looks like. And it's as recent as six months ago where really this company thought it was going to be more technology and software focused. Um, but you know, ultimately, as much as those are interesting segments of the market. Uh, I think the technology side is strong with our inhalation devices, and I'll talk a little more about that in a second. But on the software and services side, it's just so fragmented. Uh, it was a part of our business that really wasn't wasn't really uh, heading towards profitability. So last November, we took a pivot and decided to sell that business off and lean into our really strong plant-touching assets that for quite some time had gone virtually ignored. So now we sit in Massachusetts, in Pennsylvania, soon to be Ohio. Uh, where we have cannabis operations, both cultivation, manufacturing. Uh, we do have some retail, and I think that's what makes us a little different. We're not looking to be the retail player. Uh, we're not looking to build out our own uh, specific brands uh, or really talk about sales per square foot. We're trying to do more of a B2B angle. Uh, so if you're a brand, yeah, if, you, if you're a brand uh, and you'd like to come east of the Mississippi, uh, we have a distribution platform in Pennsylvania that will get you into 95% of the stores there. If you're in Massachusetts, probably about 50, 60% of the stores we sell into right now. We have a very robust wholesale platform. And in Ohio, we're just getting started. Uh, we're about to take ownership uh, of, of an entity that we had funded the build out of. Uh, and we're just waiting for final regulatory approval. So it's, it's kind of taking a page, honestly, out of, of what we're doing with our inhalation device. I mean, Jupiter, uh, Re Jupiter Research uh, is our inhalation device uh, manufacturer and uh, research and development arm. So we partner with a firm in China, Smore, uh, for the actual production of our devices, but they're designed here in Arizona. Um, and they're your typical high viscosity vaporization cartridges, as you might imagine. A lot of different kinds of technology out there, though, uh, that we're excited about trying to bring to the market in the months and, and years ahead. So that business was built on being B2B, premium product, uh, partners with about 700 brands, which includes MSOs and LPs, as you might imagine and really is the behind the scenes uh, customer, uh, behind the scenes provider. So if you think about Cura Select, uh, those are Jupiter pens at the end of the day behind that very strong brand uh, that's throughout the country. So the issue you have there is because we don't own the manufacturing, the margins there are nice, say mid twenties gross margins and, and high teens on the EBITDA side, uh, very strong business. Uh, I think over 130, 140 million plus uh, total revenue. Um, but we looked at the plant touching and said, how could we possibly do the same thing with plant touching where we actually own the manufacturing, we own the entire supply chain. And that's when we really came up with the idea of this B2B strategy. And uh, we're in early days, about 20% of our revenue comes from what I would say are cross, cross sell opportunities, where we have a Jupiter customer uh, on the hardware side, who's also one of our plant touching customers. That's when it's really working well. So B2B, I, I don't, I don't know if I've heard of too many companies going that route, the B2B retail route. 
it's um, it's different i mean you've heard it yeah. talked about as the picks and shovels and the levi strauss and all sorts of stuff I mean, right. this industry loves to try to find another industry to describe itself yeah. uh you know for the while it was apple stores uh now it's picks and shovels yeah uh amazon will probably find its way in there too at some point <laughs> uh, but yeah i think for us if you look at the cannabis space and you and you look at the potential for legalization i think you hear a lot of people say commoditization is going to come in uh, and most likely on the cultivation side, you know, the big growers will step in. And that's probably true for a lot of the high yield plants. Um, but for the specialty grow, the boutique style grow, I think there'll always be a place for that. Um, if you look at the other side, though, and not a lot of folks talk about this on the retail side, I think there's a chance that that could get commoditized. Uh, COVID has had people buying online. Uh, that is where they like to shop these days. And all the bricks and mortar stores and the infrastructure that a lot of the other MSOs have had to put in place to build their own footprint and brand, I think could become issues down the road. Either they'll have to be mass consolidation or just trimming down to the herd. Um, so for us, playing in that space in the middle, which is where we've been playing for the last two years, owning that specialty supply chain, the specialty grow, uh, you know, in terms of lab and kitchen facilities that are state of the art, we think that sustains. And, and I think the issue you have, if you believe that CPG is the future, of the uh, cannabis industry, and I do believe that. How do you get brands west of the Mississippi East? Right now, they can partner with an MSO, and the issue you have there is either you become purchased by the MSO, so you've lost your brand, or chances are that MSO wants to keep you exclusive, meaning that you'll only be sold in their stores. Now, in California, that's probably fine, where you have unlimited licenses. But in Massachusetts, where you only get three stores, that's a pretty limited footprint. Um, we're sort of the Switzerland uh, in that department. You can come to us and we'll put you into the 50% of the stores that we sell to. We'll put you into the 95% that we sell into in Pennsylvania. We're not trying to buy the brand. Um, we're looking to partner with brands. And I think that's that's a key differentiator. CPG being consumer packaged goods. I don't know if I've ever spoken to anybody who's in the Ohio cannabis market. Uh, can you explain why you're in the markets? You're in Massachusetts, obviously. That, that That's, that's uh, one of the maybe one of the more mature markets is that fair to say but i don't know much about ohio yeah i mean massachusetts is still growing uh you know i think they they introduced the adult use segment a few years back they, they're still working on the rollout from that perspective there continues to be some strong growth pennsylvania everybody knows about pennsylvania mm -hmm. these days uh, and their move hopefully towards adult use at some point ohio is an interesting market because i, I think it's probably pennsylvania from a year or so ago uh, it's it's a medical market right now. It's fairly restrictive along those lines. But if you look at the utilization rates, uh, it's a pretty fast growing market and it's bordered on all sides by states that are either adult use or about to go adult use. So I think it's one of those areas, that Rust Belt area that you're, you're going to see folks uh, start to adopt a little quicker. So uh, it's early days for us. Like I said, we have a manufacturing facility there. We're waiting for regulatory approval uh, to officially take ownership of that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, do we think it could get to become a Pennsylvania? That might be a little bit of high praise, but certainly, uh, you know, we think it's a, it's a dynamic market. And we've seen other MSOs, frankly, in that market experiencing that same type of growth with the stores they've opened. Gary, do you foresee federal legalization during the Biden administration? I think there'll be something. You know, I think the euphoria has to be tamped down a little bit. I mean, right after oh, that's the... that's no fun. Come on. <laughs> I mean, after the blue wave, it's, oh, we're all <laughs> going to trade on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ, and there'll be cannabis for all. And I, I think ultimately there's a lot of good pieces that they can put into place right away if they don't overreach. And that's probably my biggest concern. If they layer too much into the first bill that comes across, yeah. it'll never get bipartisan support. So 
The Safe Banking Act is probably the easy one, right? That's just give access to banking. I think doing something with 280E tax reform, that's going to have to be probably the next big one uh, to cross the wire. But ultimately, if they wind up punting it to the states, uh, like we would anticipate they would, even after it's legalized at the federal level, you'll then still have to break down what each of the states are doing. And there's certainly some states that see the tax revenue and the jobs, and they don't want to see those go away. So seeing how those states sort of manage how to keep the industry in-state without having it be go interstate, I think that will be an interesting challenge. But uh, the great thing about it is through COVID, uh, what cannabis proved was that it's durable, it's a needed industry, and it's one of the few industries coming out of the COVID pandemic that really doesn't need a hand up. It just really needs the government to get out of its way. Let, let's talk about how did COVID impact your business? Because, you know, we, we all saw the headlines that every dispensary under the sun was reporting record sales, you know, in May and June and, and, and July and even April, yeah. I guess. How, how did COVID impact your business? Pretty much the same way. Now, because part of our business is with vaporization and inhalation devices, we were coming out of the vape crisis of late 2019. So we were just starting to see some normalization in January of 2020. And then we rolled right into a respiratory pandemic. Uh, I think what you saw, though, is even though vaping as a category was down slightly, it was almost point for point how far it was down. Uh, smokable flour was up. So I think the consumer spoke loud and clear that inhalation is their preferred absorption method. And there's certainly a lot of reasons for that. Uh, so that was encouraging for us. Um, so we saw a little bit of fits and starts on the vape side. We saw some of the stores and the retailers that we sell into were playing pretty close to the vest in terms of managing their inventory. Um, they stocked up for a little bit and then they sort of really played it tight because they didn't know what was going to happen for them as they all transitioned to curbside pickup and all sorts of things. But it showed to be resilient. I mean, certainly the store we have down in Massachusetts, we went to curbside pickup and we've had a steady flow all the way through. Uh, and our, our orders really on the vaporization side towards the end of last year started to approach pre-COVID norms. So, you know, I think it's an industry that weathered the storm. Uh, obviously, it was in all 33 states declared a, uh, a necessary industry. So, uh, you know, I think it, it showed its true metal. Gary Santos, president of Tilly Holdings. Gary, uh, is, is there a big catalyst you want investors to know about uh, either for the industry or, or, or for Tilt this year? Um, I'll go a little selfish and talk tilt for a minute. Um, I think a couple of things. For us, uh, I think we're on the edge of getting our licensing squared away in Massachusetts. So right now we run a cultivation and manufacturing facility. It's approved for medical. And we also run a medical dispensary. But we have fully built out two other dispensaries uh, nearby. And they're capable of doing both medical and adult use. So our hope is to get our licenses squared away in the months to come. So that this way we can open those stores uh, and actually sweat those assets. And I think also continuing to build out on our brand strategy. So a few weeks ago, we announced, uh, you know, a partnership with Her Highness, uh, which is a woman-owned brand, uh, very high-end, uh, you know, which we think is a fantastic brand. Uh, they're, they're New York-based, but right now they're out of California. That's their biggest, uh, I think, market that they're in. And we're trying to bring them east. Um, so look for other brand announcements like that to come along the line. It's, it's been fun, honestly, because it's been true partnerships. It's not just a licensing agreement. Um, because everyone's figuring out that to take a brand from the West to the East, it's not quite as simple as just put your name on it and it's all done. Uh, so for us, it's making sure that the fidelity and the integrity of that brand stays tight. So keep an eye out for that. Keep an eye out for the Massachusetts regs. And I think those are the big ones for us. All right. Gary Santo will be doing a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Uh, I believe it's tomorrow. Let me just Is it Thursday or Friday? I, I oh, think God. it's Friday. Oh, yeah. I, I hope you know more than me. Uh, it, it, it is It is the 26th. It is Friday. Okay, yeah. Friday okay. morning. 
Yeah, there's so much content I can't keep it all straight. Friday morning at 11, Gary will be doing a one-on-one conversation uh, at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference. There's the link up on the screen. I'll put it in chat as well. Whoops. Gary, thank you so much for the time. Looking forward to Friday. Thanks for having me. Take care. If you're listening via podcast, please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. Everyone have a good rest of your day. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.